This is PW Torch VIP editor Wade Keller, along with PW Torch VIP analyst Todd Martin, and this is the fix for Thursday, February 29th, 2024. Todd, how do you celebrate getting a bonus day in your life? How do I celebrate getting a bonus day? Yeah, February 29th. Oh, I understand. I was thinking like a, a bonus at work. Um, oh no! Uh, no. So it's like, am, extra... I, am I missing something? Are you giving me a bonus, Wade? <laughs> um, I was I was getting excited there for a second. I was like, my first bonus. You were gonna. I, I, I but thought I've been, the last I hour. I've been doing a good job, but you know, I I, I didn't know it was coming. Um, I, I spent it I've in been, the last hour and a half. Uh, this wait. These have been entirely circumstances beyond my control. <laughs> if you only if you only knew all I've had to put uh, up with here, and I'm getting the, 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 the shit end of it after, you know, being put upon on multiple fronts. Uh, um, but yes, um, as far as a, a week, you know, uh, an extra day in the year, I, I, w- I would posit, in fact, that changes my life. Not one 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 bit. Um, <laughs> it's just another day. I appreciate every day, by the way. I'm not, I'm not knocking days. Like, yeah. I, I, that, that's great. But, um, you know, whether it comes this year or, um, or, or next year's is not that, um, you know, not that important to me. Unless I die before the end of the year, then I'd rather have it this year. <laughs> I just figure on the countdown clock for how many days are left in the year. And it's like, oh, there's this extra day. It feels like, you know, we should do something special. But, you know, recording the fix is special. Let's start with uh, some conversation about Ole Anderson. I haven't done too much... Uh, at all on him uh this week but a a big fig- out of out of spite or what oh no no not at all i just haven't had had a chance to uh to to do a podcast or or, or uh, get into it rich and i were going to talk a little bit about him but we ran out of time last night and um there's a brief mention of him of course on uh, dynamite last night but yeah todd uh, talk, talk about ole anderson and in your view on him as, as a wrestler booker um curmudgeon uh, su- uh, truth, truth. Don't, don't say that. That's that's a that's a very much disputed term for Ole Anderson. I, and, well, I was going to say or or a, uh, a a speaker of truth and wisdom, um, depending on your perspective. And did you did you use that term by accident? By the no, way, Wade. No. Okay. Why? Oh wait, I used it. Well, I don't know. I don't. Well, no, I don't no you did. You did. You definitely used it by accident. Then. Okay. Go I mean, ahead. I, well, when I say use by accident, I mean I thought that was a word I was going to say. It's not like I I misspoke. So it was, I said it on purpose, but I don't know the context of your. I, 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 won't, I won't be opaque. It's 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 sort of a silly thing. But yeah. no, it, I I was listening to uh, to Dave and uh, and and Brian Alvarez talking about Ole Anderson, and uh, Dave posited that he was a cantankerous individual, and Brian said he was curmudgeonly. Oh, and Dave disputed <laughs> that he was curmudgeonly. That that was the proper word for for Ole Anderson. That cantankerous ah. was appropriate, but curmudgeonly was not. Um, I was with Brian on this one. That in fact, um, curmudgeonly was a uh, um, a fitting word. <laughs> For Ole Anderson, um, oh, and not one to uh, to dispute if someone else suggested. So the fact you then use the word for it was amusing. Ah, I even got a text about that. Am I thinking of the right person here? Let me before I attribute this to uh, to someone. Yeah, yeah, it was actually it was it was Eric Kroll who texted me his amusement out of the discussion oh. about commercially earlier. So. Um, <laughs> So uh, yes, then for you to use the word was uh, was amusing. Yeah, I mean, Ole was one of those guys who I like would have liked to have seen more of in his prime because I watched him, you know, mostly from that mid to late '80s period. And <laughs> sorry, yeah, the 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 cat ran up on the uh, on the table and, and grabbed a uh, a. a piece of paper that has a gift card on it and ran off with it i just I'm wow. having so many problems today and he's, uh. he's he likes he likes to take things and then drop it in his, his water so i'm i'm gonna have to go get it 
<laughs> what a start. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Wade. I, this has been one of those days where everything that goes wrong, <laughs> can go wrong, goes wrong. So, um, how, how, so what? Update us. What did the cat do with it? <laughs> no, no, I got it. He just he just ran off with it. It was yeah. it was it was fine. I, I as I said, I wouldn't have done it except for the fact that it's paper, and he does have a habit of liking to grab things that are paper and then dip it in his water. <laughs> um, I don't know what he's thinking when he does that, but it's a habit of his, and so. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I had to cut that off at the past before it happened. Um, anyway, yeah, so, uh, I'll, I'll re- re- I can only imagine what Oli would have done if this happened to him. <laughs> I don't think Oli would have uh, had a lot of tolerance for, uh, for Leaf the Cat. I think yeah. he would have, uh, he would have had his issues. Um, yeah, so I was, I was mentioning, I, 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 uh, I, I saw him mostly in like that mid to late 1980s period, and I found him a, a very compelling character. But at that point, you know, he was clearly well past his prime. You know, he was in his you know mid and even into the late late 40s. And uh, but you know, he cut these very serious, intense heel interviews. Um, you know, exactly the sort of you know promos that I like. Um, I would sort of you know almost compare to sort of like a baby, a, excuse me, a heel. Um, a heel counterpoint to the way John Moxley likes to cut promos, you know, just sort of intense and serious. And, um, this is important business to him. And, um, you know, he's not, he's not messing around. And then I also remember as a kid watching those, um, those matches with the Andersons, particularly against the rock and roll express, but you know, like there, there were a few like key matches you could get on those VHS cassettes during that time period. And, those matches just seem so gritty and intense with the gimmick of, you know, cutting off the ring and working over the limb and the selling was this sort of more, um, I don't know if over the top is, is the word for it, but it was a more realistic, I guess, sort of type of selling. And it just sort of seemed like this real struggle, this real fight in a way that you didn't get as much if you were watching WBF, which was sort of the, you know, the most, um, you know, readily available and uh, most viewed, certainly amongst uh, the younger, younger demo in uh, in the area I was living in. Um, So, you know, it was... uh, you know, I thought I found him very, very compelling. But like I said, like his, you know, his peak period was in, in the 1970s. And so I can, you know, there's and you can get you can get some photos here and there of some of those problems. But there isn't there isn't like a, you know, a ton of like, you know, stuff from the uh, from the mid 70s into the late 70s. And I, I would have really liked to have seen a lot of that because there are a lot of, you know, angles that people will talk about um, and, uh you know, and, and, and promos and just sort of the the way that he carried himself is sort of this very, um, you know, very heated heel um, in the region for, a, for a, you know, a very long period of time. And um, also a guy that was, uh, you know, was uh, a powerful uh, figure behind the scenes. You know, he, uh, you know, was uh, a booker for, uh, for uh, you know, off and on for a few a few decades and a guy that was well regarded in that in that category for quite a while before he was not so well regarded which is the case with a lot of bookers um uh you know the the vast majority of bookers there's the period where they're you know thought of very highly and then the period of where they're you know they don't know what they're doing very much um tends to come and 
I also appreciated that he was, you know, he was unapologetically himself. Like there's, you know, the infamous, you know, interview with with Dave where he just came across like a jerk and didn't sell his book very well. Um wasn't a phony you know he just said what he thought and you know consequences be damned and that's you know there's something you know it's you know it's not necessarily a guy that you want to spend a lot of time with <laughs> he didn't come across as but like there's I, I sort of enjoy just sort of that dynamic in general and particularly in pro wrestling you know just sort of like I'm you know I'm who I am and you know deal with it you know I, I'm and and that's you know I think sort of a uh uh, you know, a trait that's uh, that's sort of fun, particularly in the in the wrestling business. And um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's sort of Ole Anderson, sort of a, a memorable figure, made a lot of enemies, um, and uh, you know, drew a lot of money. So uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, so moving on to a... did you ever did you ever interview Ole? No, I didn't. Pat McNeil did, and it's I, I should pull that up from the archives. Um, I, I, it was an adventure. Um, I, I know that, but Pat's interview style, I could imagine setting off, setting off Oli a little bit. Um, but I want to refresh my memory on, Any, on anyone's on interview like, style. I can imagine true. setting off Oli. Yes. Yes. Totally. I, you know what? It's more, yeah. It, um, it's not so much Pat's interview style, but it, it, the, the entertainment factor of Oli being Oli with Pat was part of the charm of, of how things went there. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, I wish I had interviewed him by the way. It's one of those people I probably should have, um, when I was doing interviews, you know, very regularly, I should have tried to make that up. It's not like I tried and he turned me down or anything like that. I just never, never landed on my radar as something to pursue. Um, okay. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, uh, zip through some of, well, not zip that implies, uh, a cursory, um, necessarily a cursory rundown, but the AW TV shows and then get to a preview of, of Sunday's pay-per-view here. Big week for AEW. Um, we'll start with uh, rampage from Friday. Uh, private party and top flight in the opener, Todd. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, it was a. Uh, um, there was another team in there too, Penta and Commander and Brian Keith, and that is relevant. Yeah, there were three teams. Exactly, there were three teams and and uh, three wrestlers on each team. So let's let's hit reset here. Who could possibly, by the way, confuse these teams? Wade, that you had Private Party and Matt Seidel versus Top Flight and Action Andretti versus Brian Keith, Commander, and Penta. I, I mean, I, I I don't know what could possibly be confusing about that as a match. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was just. It, it was one of them. That might actually have been the most random match in in in, in <laughs> AEW history. Um, you know, obviously they've had like the weird sort of style clashes where you bring in someone from you know from mexico or japan and have them wrestle someone you never expect but just as far as like you know nine people you know you don't ha- you don't see a lot of like trios triple threats and you know i, I don't know that private party had ever teamed with matt Seidel. they don't seem like the same people at all um brian keith commander and penta seems as weird if not a weirder mix and so yeah just a, a weird mix of wrestlers and i thought the match was pretty good Yes. Uh, then Renee interviewed Soraya and Harley Cameron backstage. Any thoughts about uh, about that? Yeah, the story just gets uh, worse and worse. Um, <laughs> now you've got um, Soraya trying to uh, hook up um, uh, uh, Ruby Soho with her brother, um, who's signed to AEW um, for some reason. So, yes. All right. Then uh, the Young Bucks against Johnny Lyons and Cappuccino Jones. Um, Young Bucks win, not surprisingly, Todd, in uh, two minutes. And then a promo afterwards with the Bucks. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, just a squash. Um, the Bucks shtick continues to feel 
quite gimmicky um, and inorganic to me in contrast to someone like, you know, Drew McIntyre. Granted, that's a high standard given how great Drew is. Where, but like the key to that thing is like it feels like an actual person um, as opposed to just someone playing some sort of role. Um, and this match also proves something that I've been saying for um, many years, which is, is very hard to compete for attention with someone named Cappuccino. Uh, that's, you know, that's, you've been saying mistake, that for years, you know, well, yeah, I've, I, absolutely. Wow. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're booking, if you're a booker out there and you are booking one of your stars against someone who names them, who's calling themselves Cappuccino, uh, you may want to insist that Cappuccino gets a different name because it's going to be <laughs> difficult for the, uh, for the star to get over. All right, then uh, Mariah May and Anna Jay. Uh, Mariah, Wait, Mariah May wins in about seven minutes. Uh, thoughts on that? Um, I thought it was pretty good, uh, albeit heavy on the uh, on the commercials. Then uh, Ruby Soul and Angela Parker uh, continue to update their situation. Um, did did that improve things for you, Todd? I mean, they're going to have a date. That sounds like great entertainment, Wade. I cannot wait for a, a you know a vignette where they're uh, where they're out in a uh, fake restaurant and. Um, Ooh, know, I hope they have lots stuff. of camera angles. Yes, lots yeah. of camera angles yeah. and stuff transpires. Maybe someone can get food thrown on them in the end. Um, there's there's all sorts of exciting possibilities there. Maybe it's, a uh, a snooty waiter. Um... Ooh, a snooty waiter. Wade, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, maybe. Somebody's... I hate snooty waiters, by the way. <laughs> Awful. Yes, yes. All right. Um, we, we won't spoil people on, on more twists that may occur. We'll just let let it happen. Okay. Uh, then Roderick Strong and uh, Jake Hager in the uh, final match. Uh, Strong wins in about 10 minutes. What do you think? It was okay. A little heavy on the outside of the ring stuff um, and a distraction finish. But, you know, the match turned out better than I, I expected, I think. Granted that I, granted that I didn't have um, the, uh, the highest of expectations. Anything else from Rampage I, I might have missed it? You have notes on. Yeah, I mean, they shot an angle for uh, the Sammy Guevara Powerhouse Hobbs match, and it was not a great sign for Sammy as a babyface that fans were chanting one more time as he got destroyed. <laughs> no. Uh, no, no, it's not. All right, uh, moving on to Collision from Saturday night. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Sammy Guevara. Speaking of which, uh, no DQ match. Hobbs wins in 17 minutes. Tidy review. I thought it was a fun match. Um, I thought Sammy really pulled out the stop, you know, pulled out all the stops in particular, and it had the... Uh, the right finish as well. So, good start to the show. Then, uh, what, by the way, where are you on on Powerhouse Hobbs right now? It feels like he's been, you know, kind of spin his, spinning his wheels a little bit, just kind of hanging out in the maybe someday he'll get a, a, a sustained push uh, zone. Um, what do you think of what you see, especially with a, a, a long match here? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been doing a ton, but, I mean, I, I, I still feel similarly about him, which is to say I think he's – um, he's got some traits that not a lot of people have on the show, so I think there's value in that. And I could see giving him a, uh, um, you know, a bigger push and more TV time. And he would be someone in the, in the mix in my mind for that. But I also he also wouldn't be, I think, at the top of the list just because there's a lot of a lot of people fit into that general category. So it's a uh, a competitive uh, a competitive landscape. All right, then uh, John Moxley and Claudio in a backstage segment with uh, a good bit of talking with uh, FTR also involved. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. It was just you know, it was mostly uh, Moxley, you know, trying to get over Claudio, and I thought he did a uh, he did a good job of that. Yeah. All right, uh, then Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler 
speaking of, against Shane Taylor and Lee Moriarty. Uh, FTR win at 10 minutes. What do you think? Pretty good match. No drama. Um, I thought a very good promo afterwards. All right, then, Thunder Rosa and Lady Bird Monroe. Is, is Lady Bird tough to compete with, like Cappuccino, or not? No, no, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think you really, you know, really jump off the page that much. People, you know, don't all gravitate to you unless you're like at a, you know, a, a Johnson family reunion or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, it's just a quick squash. Yeah. All right. Uh, then Renee interviewed Chris Statlander, um, and then have you ever met someone named Lady Bird Wade? No, I haven't. Really? Yeah. Eh, I guess that checks out. <laughs> How many have you met? <laughs> Not in fact. Oh, okay. I've, that that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah. So then, uh, uh, Renee interviews Chris Statlander and and others get involved. Um. Yeah. Just uh, building up. What some feel felt like a, a tag match, but it ended up being a single. So I assume the tag is coming later. Yeah. All right. And then uh, Jay White with Colton and Billy Gunn uh, trying out that three man team because they're just mixing and matching against the Iron Savages. Um, Boulder Bronson and Jack Jameson, uh, and the as expected, White Gun and White in the Guns won in about five minutes. What do you think? Short match, no drama. Um, Max Caster blowing his rap was odd. My assumption watching was that that was a work, but um, who knows? I, I, I've seen nothing uh, to suggest that since. So perhaps it was, uh, you know, just a legit uh, uh, blowing of uh, of his lines. Yeah. All right. Um... Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, Malachi Black and uh, Brian Keith. Uh, Malachi wins in about 11 minutes. What do you think? Oh, I, By I, the way, oh, I skipped. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. When we're talking about Max Caster and his cool factor, Wade, Max Caster was never a 10. Let me tell you, never a 10. <laughs> um, I, I skipped past the uh, Brian Danielson backstage promo uh, hyping the match with uh, Kings at Revolution. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Danielson cutting um, heel promos doesn't feel, like, terribly productive. Um, I did like that um, Danielson made it a point to say that Kingston's wasted his potential until the last year um, in the sense that, you know, you don't want to send the message that him uh, winning that uh, title is, is, uh, is, is, is not accomplishing anything. So he sort of compensated for that, even though Kingston is basically doing the same thing the whole time and his, you know, critiques of Kingston, you feel like could be extended to the past year as well. But, you know, he was trying to obviously to put over the, uh, the, uh, the, um, you know, the championships that uh, Kingston has draped all over him. Yeah. All right, then uh, Malachi Black and Brian Keith. Black wins in 11 minutes, and then um, uh, an angle afterwards with with the lights going out and uh, Mark Briscoe and uh, some of the uh, House of Black. Uh, what do you think? Good match, no drama. Um, I, I, I like Mark Briscoe versus Aleister Black as an issue, um, but I don't know that this is going to go that well for uh, for Mark. Then uh, Serena Deeb and Lady Frost. Uh, Serena Deeb wins in about eight minutes. Yeah, surprisingly long match. Um, no drama. Uh, I did very much I, I like um, Deeb's promo in general and, and just sort of her act right now. I think she's got a uh, a good act going. Then Brian Danielson and Junakiyama in the uh, the main event of the show. Um, what do you think of everything that went on here? I thought it was a pretty good match. I thought Kingston was uh, was really good on commentaries, so that enhanced things. And, uh, you know, the beloved Danielson spending the uh, supposed last year of his career giving Legends low blows um, feels like a waste of what you should be able to get out of him. But, you know, that's what they're uh, that's what they're doing right now. Yep. Uh, anything else from Collision? I might have skipped past that you got notes on. 
Oh. All right. So we'll uh, jump to Dynamite from last night. And they opened with Hangman Page pretending he had an injury. And then uh, Swerve and Samoa Joe came out and had some words. And Page attacks. Uh, Hangman attacks um, uh, Swerve from behind with the crutches. Joe watches and takes it in and smiles. Uh, what do you think of, of you this? You spoiled the whole segment for everybody. <laughs> what do you think of um, this as a way to, uh, to, to the payoff to all the speculation all week and, and building the main event or one of the co-main events of, of Sunday's show. I thought it was a good segment. Um, I thought everyone was good in their roles. Um, my, my one issue besides the like overdone swerve is that I am leery in today's wrestling of presenting a segment where the part that feels the most real goes against the role the person is supposed to be playing, you know, hangman being sympathetic, talking about all this hard work. I think that part, the average fan is going to see as much more authentic to who Adam Page is than his new heel character. And, you know, obviously the psychology is, well, he'll turn heel and attack Swerve with a clutch at the end, and that will negate him playing babyface at the beginning. Um, but to me, if the part where he's the face resonates as more authentic and the part where he's the heel um, in what just feels like another pro wrestling angle – um, you know, pretending to be hurt and then attacking the guy with a weapon, um, you're you're cutting against the goal of making people root against Paige um, if the first part is what they remember better and what sort of sticks with them. And, you know, that wasn't the case in older wrestling, you know, where fans were suspending their disbelief more in the stories, you know, but now people aren't suspending their, their disbelief um, as uh, as much when they're watching the show. And I think you got to take that into account when booking angles because um, I think people likely came out of the segment liking him and Pager more, um, even taking into account what he did at the end. How's uh, Swerve coming along? Just kind of promo presence, a guy that you think, even with all the other talent in AEW, is someone they should um, not let slide back down the card. He's doing pretty well. Um you know, I mean, I think people are just sort of into his sort of vibe, and I think the way he carries himself is the biggest thing he has going for him, um, followed by his work um, second and his promos third. But, I mean, he's you know, he's a strong overall performer, and um, I think there's, uh, you know, there's definitely something there. And, you know, how he's able to transition from the, you know, the role that he's been playing right now into a more, you know, straightforward person that people are rooting for is going to be the key of how big he can get which i think is still very much an open question did you like him bringing up uh crossing the line a couple times just to kind of own it and pretend they're not pretending it didn't happen or do you just not draw attention to it and you're better off leaving that behind when you are transitioning to him being more an official baby face I would just pretend that never happened. Yeah. Um, in fact, let, let's let's redo that question again. Ask <laughs> me again what I thought of that. Uh, what do you think of him bringing up uh, the the terrorizing an infant and uh, and beating up an eighteen year old in his home home ring, Jim? Uh, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Wade. <laughs> well, well done, well done. How about him bringing up that he was a former cruiserweight? That jumped out to me as like it's very unnecessary and probably counterproductive. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have uh, have. I wouldn't have, have recommended that either. I, I I do think it's worth noting, though, that the idea was specifically to say, like, yes, I was in that, you know, that cruiserweight division that has a stigma that we're talking about, and now look at where I am. So it was the idea wasn't like, you know, like let me flag that I was a, cru- a cruiserweight. Right. It was more like, look how far I've come. And so, like, if people are 
are taking it as you know like oh yeah he, he was at that lower level and now look at him now like that you know that can work you know just like sort of saying oh i'm you know i i lost you know i lost in five seconds in this you know in this prime match you know triple h like i lost the ultimate warrior and you know in in 45 seconds now and then look look at me now four years later i'm the top guy in the business i mean that yeah. can potentially work but just like with the the same thing with the home invasion thing some things i just you know sort of ignore and pretend they didn't happen yeah and i, I just like if he doesn't jump out as like a small guy relative to the height of people that he's around in as in in as much as that matters it matters so little in AEW. but i do think being a cruiserweight in another area just kind of flags you as somebody who wasn't a big big deal at one point and i just don't think it's character it like i think that would work for um i'm trying to think of a, a good example of a wrestler who, who's you know rising through the ranks and and Danny Garcia maybe could pull that off. I, I, there's a better example out there where like their character is, yeah, I'm an underdog and I've, I've scratched and clawed and made my way up and I'm taking on heavyweights and all. But Swerve is just like, there's a swagger and a confidence and people are into him, not because of the journey, but because he's cool and has an edge to him. And uh, cruiserweights just don't have that reputation. Again, not, not to believe the point or a big deal, but it just instinct wise, I'd be like, yeah, don't draw attention to that. Your belay bring the point, Wade. Oh man! All right, moving on. <laughs> um, the young bucks arrived, and uh, uh, Renee asked them about Ric Flair, and they said instead they were gonna uh, things went well, but they wanted to go look for Sting. And uh, um, was it Matthew was most excited about conducting Sting's exit interview? Um, so this this weave throughout the show. I mean, it was, we might as well just hit the whole storyline here and then we'll we'll uh, double back and review the rest of the show but what'd you think of of the uh the bucks journey through the arena and and uh in the interaction and with uh with sting and darby all, all the way to the end i mean it still feels like total shtick to me um but you know whatever i thought that the uh the the conclusion with you know sting coming out from the rafters was a cool uh you know a cool deal to sort of be the the go home before the uh um at least for him before the uh the paper pay-per-view this weekend so i thought it built to a good point would you have voted for that over joker sting showing up um i was i was thinking surfer surfer sting I, I, that <laughs> would have you know really, really you know what I don't, excitement out of this. I don't know if he has the hair hairline for it anymore or the hair uh um density anymore but if, if he shaved his head spiked it bleached it blonde and uh and came out in those long uh the, the long trunks um, he probably can't go shirtless and, and pull off the look he had, um, you know, 35 years ago. But that there would be some some major points for that. That'd be it, it could be the worst thing he ever like the the worst decision he could make. But I'd get give him points for for, for trying and going full circle. I I enjoy at times people making the worst decision they've ever made. It can be it can make for some good make for some good comedy. And Tony, you know, we've we've seen like Tony will will uh, will. Uh, be willing to put in the money for the uh, for those themes. So I don't know that he has can have access to man called Sting, but I think I think he could probably get access to the old. Yeah, exactly. Pretty sure that was public domain. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, they do dub they do dub over some of those like old like songs that you would think like nobody spent any time on. So I'm not always sure about them. Maybe they're not sure, and that's why they dub over them. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, it's well might be. This is default mode. Let's not let's not take a chance here. We can't yeah, find like, this I like anywhere. Do, like, 
Yeah, I like when they dub over like the obvious ripoff versions of like other songs where it's like, you know, like there's no other, it's clearly they have the, the right to, to, to do it. Yeah. But like, I think someone just listening to it is like, eh, it's too similar. Let's just dub over it. <laughs> Let's not get play done on YouTube. Um, <laughs> so I think if there was anything else about the Bucks I wanted to bring up, if it comes to me, it'll come to me. Nothing right now. Okay. So, uh, winding back to, um, Blackpool Combat Club against FTR and Eddie Kingston. Six-man tag. This goes 22 minutes. Danielson, Claudio, and Mox get the win. What'd you think? Um, yeah, I thought that it was a uh, a, a, a good match. Um, brutal finish. Um, and, and I mean that in a good way uh, in terms <laughs> of uh, Danielson just uh, brutalizing poor Eddie Kingston. I mean, Danielson Danielson is great playing heel, even if no one yeah. you know wants him in the role. Yeah. Um, and uh, the finish did, did seem to telegraph what's happening on Sunday. Then um, they showed that that vignette, uh, some vintage footage of Atlantis Sr. and Chris Jericho uh, in Mexico 30 years ago. I thought that was a nice touch and, and a step in the right direction for AW if they're going to bring kind of people in cold and put them in a, in a match they expect people to watch. Um, what do you think? Yeah, and I mean, Jericho did a good job as well sort of explaining the uh, the story. I mean, it's still a bizarre match to put on randomly when a pay-per-view is this weekend, but, you know, that's that's what they did. Um, Chris Jericho finishing the uh, the story with uh, Avantis from uh, from 32 years ago. Yeah. All right, then uh, Tony Schiavone stood mid-ring and introduced Will Ospreay to a decent you know, amount. By the way, wait, do you know what, you know what uh, Avantis is in, in English? Um. Atlantis. Yes, you got it. Oh, Good. awesome. Although practicing with my son on a Spanish. Is, well is well done. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> Tony Schiavone interviewed Will Ospreay, who uh, talked about being full-time in AEW now after uh, 10 days with his wife uh, on vacation in Barbados. And, now, uh, and then we get uh, the Don Callis family coming out. Don taking co-credit for uh, Ospreay's previous victories in AEW. Ospreay shooting him a look. Um, and then stared on with Takeshita. Uh, what would you think of this in terms of um, you know the the first real formal presentation of Osprey as as a full time guy and not just a visitor. I thought overall the segment was a uh, was a definite positive. You know the crowd reacting as well to Osprey as they did in, in you know Alabama as opposed to you know Chicago. Uh, I thought was you know a great sign early on. Although you know there is to be fair there is the negative in that and that you'd think the reaction might be a little less pronounced if they drew 6,000 rather than 3,000. So, um, you know, the smaller the crowds get, the more you would expect them to know people. But it's still, you know, it's still positive that, that people are reacting big to him. Um, I think it was smart just to make him quickly uh, a face and not draw this thing out too long. You know, obviously they didn't do the, you know, the split on the show. But I think, you know, it feels pretty safe that the turn is coming. And, you know, people know that, and that's fine. Um the heat for Callus, I thought, was great as well. So that was another positive. Um, on the flip side, I did think Osprey came off kind of odd on the microphone, and you know that fit with my concern that he isn't um, necessarily that well suited to weekly television. But we shall see. There's time. Yeah. All right. Uh, then our two, actually, then uh, Renee interviewed Eddie Kingston. Uh, talked about facing Danielson, um, and the box kind of interrupted pretty early, and then went looking for Sting. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, they're clearly teasing something between Kingston and the Box. I mean, maybe Kingston will team with Danielson against them. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, or our two open with Orange Cassidy and Nick Wayne. International title on the line. Cassidy wins in 11 minutes. What would you think? 
I thought it was okay. I mean, it wasn't like a dynamic athletic match, but that was by choice, as you know, Wayne is, is clearly trying to establish himself as a um, weasel heel character, and they were doing a lot of stuff to sort of play off the, um, you know, just sort of to get him as a sort of weaselly heel as opposed to an athletic young, you know, young wrestler. So um, that's what they're uh, trying to get across, and I think he's effective in the role. All right, then uh, Renee interviewed the Bang Bang Scissors gang. Jay White said last week he wasn't sure about them, but after Saturday, he's on board. Good news for all Jay White fans. Um, and they gave each other a friendly hard time. Is it, is it though, Wade? <laughs> it was very much, very dripping in sarcasm <laughs> there. Um, and they gave each other a, a friendly hard time, and then they agreed that the acclaimed and Austin Gunn would be the uh, random, tr- the semi-random uh, trio on Collision on Saturday. Um, any Any update on your thoughts on this? No. All right. Yeah. Um, so then Chris Statlander and Sky Blue with uh, Stokely and Willow in the corner of Statlander. Stokely author, uh, offering a chain. Was it a chain? Um, yeah, um, a chain. I think so. Yeah, it was yeah, a chain. Yeah. That's right. Um, and uh, uh, Chris Statlander didn't want to partake. Willow discouraged her from partaking. And then Sky Blue took advantage of that distraction um, and got the win. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought the match was fine, and the uh, you know the finish continues the story of Statlander being tempted by Stokely's cheating, and here Stokely tried to get her to cheat, and she didn't cheat, and she lost, and so the message that has been uh, has been sent to her is clearly she needs to cheat. Um, so we'll see if she uh, she you know how long it takes for that to uh, to sink in. I do, by the way, like the fact that they've got um, well. I say there's some reservations because I suppose they could shoot some angles. I haven't looked at the, the, the collision spoilers, so they could shoot some angles that, that get these things done um, for the pay-per-view. But like, I'm totally cool that there are some stories that are, are peaking for the pay-per-view this weekend, and there are other stories that are peaking for a time in the future. I think that, you know, I think it's, number one, it's, I think, good to constantly be having stories of different lengths. So like, when you reach the pay-per-view it isn't like oh everything ended and now we're starting over again you've always got sort of um you know week-to-week stories going on but also it just sort of feels more you know organic you know you don't have like oh you know here's pay-per-view oh look we had 15 angles you know to build up everything on the show you know with everything peaking at that point so i uh, i think that's a, a a positive that you've got um stories going on at different uh, at different speeds now are these the, you know the the greatest stories the bang bang <laughs> scissors gang and, and statlander and willow nightingale i mean not really but you know just in terms of the uh um you know the principle of that yeah yeah Okay, uh, then Chris Jericho, Atlantis Jr. Um, went 12 minutes, maybe a little longer than ideal. I haven't uh, seen ratings come in yet, but I'm curious just if, if, it, if it held the audience. Uh, what would you think of Jericho's presentation, just a one-off because of the, the nostalgia content here or the kind of the throwback, and what would you think of the match? I'll spoil it for you, Way. They did not hold the, not- hold the <laughs> audience. Um, I, I, I haven't seen the numbers, but... I'm feeling pretty confident about that one, yeah. and uh, it's you know since it'll probably come in while we're recording, you can uh, you can uh, you can uh, um, give me crap for that if that does not turn out to be a uh, a proper spoiler. Um, and uh, you know the match, I mean, I didn't think they gelled that well together, and the crowd being dead most of the way didn't help. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was the uh, the highlight of the show by any means. Yep. Uh, so anything else on this show? Nope, I've got nothing else for now. All right. 
Well, let's uh, let's look at to Sunday's uh, pay per view, um, AW Revolution, and uh, first, what what match of the uh, the two the world title and the state retirement do you think goes on last? And do you care at all? Do you think there's a right a right decision, or does it depend on on the finish of of either or both? I am I am of the belief that whatever your top title is um, should go on last, and I I would just have that as a consistent um, across the board rule to to put over the importance of that in in the uh, in in the promotion. With that said, I mean clearly the most interest in this show is Sting and Darby Allen versus the Young Bucks, and it is going to be difficult to follow that. Um, and I do expect them to close with that, so I don't have an issue with that. But yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would just have an ironclad rule that you end with the, uh, you know, the whatever the top title is, whether that's you know your world singles title, your tag title, your uh, women's singles title, whatever your promotion is. Um, but yeah, I, I expect Sting and Darby, and I'm, uh, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I think if there's an ex- even if you're firm in general on that as a rule. Um, if there's good, if there's an exception, uh, you know, a, a nearly forty-year veteran uh, retiring in a match with some, you know, pretty big names involved with him, it's yeah, it's not a high offense. Um, if if that's the exception, um, if that's a an infrequent exception, because it's not too often someone of with Sting's resume uh, has has an announced final retirement match. Um. All right. Uh. So yeah, let's uh, let's start Sting and Darby against Young Bucks. Um. What what do you expect to see here? Um, is is the flare thing going to be a double swerve, or can we rule that out? And yeah, what, do you fear anything that they might do here? Like, are you dreading a possibility of something that might be on their radar to do? No, I'm not. I'm not dreading anything. I try to live my life without dread. I just you know keep an open mind and and not concern myself too much. Um, I definitely don't feel like you have to have Sting win his last match, but um. If, if if you've got some sort of idea that's going to, you know, accomplish some alternate goal, um, you know, particularly since they haven't had anybody beat Sting, but I, I just don't think the Bucks gain much by beating Sting and Darby. You know, I mean, I suppose you can make the argument, well, they'll get some heat and, you know, we'll use it to, you know, transition to the next tag challengers, but I, I don't know. We're going to get meta promos. You guys booked that. yourself to beat a legend and I'm going to get revenge on you for it. Yeah, no thanks. That's a pass on on that one for me in terms of uh, advocacy of that. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I I I, uh, I I just feel like you know the the Bucks don't have much to gain, so just put over Sting and Darby, and you know have Sting have the happy moment. And uh, you know, I I I, do, I still do like the idea of Flair turning on him and, and Sting, uh, you know, Sting seeing it coming this time. Um, so you know, I I would you know I would be on board with uh, you know with. Uh, Flair trying to, you know, Flair trying to uh, to screw him, and Sting, you know, catches him and beats, you know, beats the Bucks, and then he challenges Flair to one last match and puts him in the sharpshooter, and uh, and uh, and 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 that's the end. Um, uh, as long as they don't do any other spots other than that, he literally just rolls over, and that's it. Um, yes. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, I'm sure the match will be good, you know, because they'll they'll. Uh, you know, focus on Darby and uh, and Bucks pulling out the uh, the stops, and I hope Sting doesn't try to do too much. Um, he may be tempted. Uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's the part I might that I'm dreading. Um, maybe dreads overstating it, but yeah, um, hoping hoping Sting doesn't feel like he's got to do one last big, big dangerous spot. 
Um, I've, I've mentioned this before, though, but like the thing about like Sting being too dangerous, I think is kind of overblown. There have been like a couple spots here and there. We talked about with, with that, like you know, that I think it was Scorpion Death Drop through a uh, through a table mm-hmm. at one point. That was too dangerous. But a lot of the things that people are sort of describing as too dangerous are generally just him diving and people catching him, which you know we you see in you see in Lucha because like the Luchadors will do the dives into like their 60s and 70s. Um, you know, isn't isn't that dangerous spot as long as um, you've got somebody that you trust that's there to catch you, and and you 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 know you're you're careful with that. And the thing with Sting working these tag matches is you can usually have at least two people there to catch him, so it it makes it you know even safer, or even three. Yes, or four. Yeah, four is fine. Five, you know. What I, about you six? Know, you can even do. Yeah, yeah. I think I think six would be okay too. Well, let's not push our luck at this point. No, so we're getting we're getting up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, then the the main event or or the, that was the, one of my favorite things about like early PWG was yeah. was that like they didn't have like the 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 rails around the ring and so people would do the dives and they would they would just dive right in the crowd it was it was uh, it was good fun you know it was before back back in the day where people weren't concerned about you know about lawsuits well and, before you know, lawyers the world was great yeah absolutely yeah. it was you know, it was just wild west and you know I I I you know people dove onto me it was it was good times. <laughs> All right, so then the world title match. Uh, it, do you think any of the three can come out as champion, uh, or, or just one or two? What, what What are your thoughts on this and and the finish and how everybody comes uh, out of it in terms of uh, where the focus is on on protecting or or uh, elevating uh, people? Any of them can. I mean, they're, they're perfectly fine choices, all three, as to be uh, to be champion. Um, but you know, to to me, I I don't see them putting the, the title on on Hangman Page. I just feel like he hasn't been that hot of a character and you know, he's babyface champion relatively recently and there's so many options, um, you know, other than going back to, to him. I feel like Joe fits that better and if they're putting the title on Swerve, you know, I'm you know, I follow what seems to be a pretty common thought on that, which is that they'd probably just make it a one on one match with Joe. So the three way to me suggests Hangman and Swerve are gonna cost each other and, and Joe sneaks by. All right. Um Timeless Tony Storm and Diana Prato, uh, women's world championship match. What do you expect here? Um, I am not a fan of Tony Storm as champion, but I do not see them switching the title to Diana Prato here. Um, so I'm I'm definitely expecting Tony Storm to uh, to win, and uh, I'm not sure Prato would be the answer champion anyway. So hopefully they have a strong match. Uh, then Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson, um, the Continental Crown on the line. What do you expect here? Um, yeah, I mean the whole thing feels built up for for Danielson to uh, uh, for for Kingston rather to win and uh, finally show, um, you know, fi- for for uh, for Danielson to finally show Kingston respect and uh, you know Danielson beating him last night would also seem to lead in that direction given that they you know they they like to trade wins on the rare occasions when a star beats another star so I think the match is going to be really fun. Um, I think it's going to have a lot of heat. I could see it having the most heat of anything on the show other than the Sting match, but um, we'll see. Oftentimes with that, it, it does depend on the uh, um, on the match order. Then uh, Christian Cage and Danny Garcia with the TNT title on the line. 
Yeah, I mean, Garcia winning so Adam Copeland can get his revenge on Christian without the title being on the line makes a lot of sense. But I don't know that Garcia feels ready to be champion. Um, you know, not that the AEW titles have like a super amount of prestige these days, given how many of them are. So I'm not sure what they'll do. All right. Uh, FTR, Blackpool Combat Club, uh, straight up take team match. Yeah, I mean, FTR are the regular tag team and portrayed as the fan favorites in the feud, so I'm expecting them to win. Um, that's another one that looks like a, uh, a great match on paper. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Orange Cassidy defending the international title against Roderick Strong. Uh, what do you expect here? I don't particularly care for the idea of Roderick Strong as international champion, but I feel like they wouldn't have built this match as a pay-per-view title match for like damn near two months if Roderick was going to lose. Like, I feel like you'd just pick someone more high profile. Like the fact that they've been building this up for such a long period of time for a pay-per-view match seems to me to suggest that, that Roddy's going to win. How do you feel about that? Like is it like is it needed in order for people to take him somewhat seriously, or is it is he not somebody who should be beating Orange Cassidy? I mean, I I wouldn't have like super, you know Orange Cassidy is like the most protected guy in the world by any means, but I mean he does have like you know they, they, he's had that title for a, you know a while with a couple of stints, and so I just feel like Roderick Strong has sort of been defined down with like the the shtick that he does, and while he's a great wrestler, um, I don't feel like it it feels it feels sort of that he's like a someone that should be a champion so um i would be more inclined to to want to have the title still on on orange cassidy if the choice is between those two which is you know what it is right now yeah all right uh will osprey and kineske Takeshita. what what do you expect here as high as I am on Takeshita, I'd have no problem at all with Callis scoring Osprey, Takeshita getting the win, and and Osprey chasing him and Hobbs. Um, but I, in spite of you know that natural inclination on my part, I, I of course think it's more likely that Osprey wins and they turn on him afterwards, given it's his um, first match since uh, signing with uh, with AEW full time, and it should be a you know fantastic match, um, you know on a a show that has a, a number of matches that look quite strong. And the all-star scramble match, uh, spoiler alert for those who don't want to know who advanced, uh, but Chris Jericho, Wardlow, Lance Archer, Powerhouse Hobbs, Hook, Brian Cage, Dante Martin, and Magnus all in this one, Todd. Um, what do you think of this being added to the show and replacing Meat Madness? And uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it sounded like with the Meat Madness thing, they had like a certain you know number of people that they had in mind for that, and figured, well, what, we'd only you know advertise it for a week, so why not just hold off until we can get as many of the uh, the meaty people that we wanted in it as possible. So um, that that's fine to me. If you're gonna do um, Meat Madness, get it right. Make sure it's at full strength. Yeah, make sure you have enough meat. I mean, you know, you go to a barbecue, you don't want to have a bunch of you know salad and crap like that. You want you know or or, or, or you know or you know. You know the the, the like the impossible burger stuff. That's you know like you, you don't want that. You want actual meat. Um, so you know that's uh, that's what you uh, you got here. And as far as the uh, or, or you would have when when you do that. Um, as far as the all star scramble. Um, I mean, it's obviously just sort of a match throughout the card. You could you could have anybody win as a one off TV opponent, given the way they do things here. But I mean, Ward though is the one who they seem most invested in wrestling for the title. I don't know if that means that he wins here, but he, he is the one that seems the, you know, the strongest player right now in that 
top mix with you know powerhouse hubs probably being uh being number two and um you know dante martin or, or lance archer being at the at the bottom uh any other thoughts on this show um including just kind of overall thoughts on this as a pay-per-view lineup from a, a, a drawing fan interest standpoint and uh stick in, in trying to be you know a, a top tier pay-per-view that gets good reviews I think it's a good lineup. I think it'll, you know, I think they'll do well on uh, on pay per view with the Sting retirement, and uh, I think it'll be uh, an entertaining show with the matches they've booked. If uh, with, with Osprey on the show um, and becoming a regular part of the mix, and if if Okada indeed shows up as expected, um, you know, this is kind of like a transition period to a time when you know, and, and if MJF comes back, if Kenny Omega gets healthy, the, the, the you know pay per views later this year are going to look. Um, maybe look different. And I don't know if that means more matches or more multi-person matches or some people get squeezed off the show. But, um, you know, they could have um, some fresh, you know, some real fresh matches and some top-tier depth uh, going forward that hasn't been, um, you know, that that's different than what we've seen in the past, I guess is the better way to put it and probably an upgrade. they got a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just a, a matter of uh, putting them together in a, a way that uh, is compelling. And I would argue... Um, of finding ways to make the weekly television feel more consequential rather than a bunch of people sort of um, walking on conveyor belts. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, uh, Todd, uh, talk about uh, New Japan New Beginnings. Um, sure. So they had the uh, the two New Beginnings shows in uh, Sapporo, and um, they were not encouraging. Um, particularly the first one, which was awful. Um, uh, the the first one, the key match, started with Mayo Iwatani beating Mina Shurakawa to retain the uh, IWGP Women's Title, and I thought the one the, the work was fine, um, but the crowd did not care, and no one thought uh, Shurakawa could win, so it, it didn't uh, get over that well. Um, then we got over thirty minutes of House of Torture, and like this House of Torture shit. It's like it's seriously just the worst. I mean, they need to stop. It's it's not entertaining. It's not fun. It's not what people want out of New Japan. It doesn't get over the crowds. It certainly didn't on this on this night. And it just ruins the shows. And they've been doing this shit for years now. And it's well past time they've recognized this shit is a negative and get move the fuck on. Um, so. Yeah, not not a fan of this House of Torture bullshit at all. Um, and I've literally never met anybody that um, that 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 felt anything but negative towards it. Um, anyway, the first was uh, was Show beating Desperado to win the junior title, and you know you got all the usual horseshit, ref bumps, interference, weapons, and then one of the worst pro wrestling finishes I've literally ever seen. Where Ren, it's Desperado against Show. Ren Narita comes out from under the ring and he just chokes out Desperado on the outside. Referee doesn't care, keeps counting, counts to ten, and Desperado lost his title via countout because he was being choked out on the outside by somebody not in the match. That I mean, I don't care what you're trying to what you're trying to argue or think about the idea of like, oh, we're getting heat with this. Like, no, this is just idiotic just idiotic crap 
that brings down the promotion. Uh, and then, as if that wasn't enough, we then got another long House of Torture match with the lights going out, the interference, the ref bumps, the weapons, all the same shit. And again, we got the finish with, um, you know, with House of Torture succeeding with Evil retaining over Umino after a ton of interference. So at that point, I mean, the show was functionally ruined, but they continued on. Matt Riddle won the TV title from Hiroshi Tanahashi. This was another letdown. They had a quick match, less than nine minutes, and Riddle just beat him emphatically with a tombstone. Um, and, uh, and yeah, Riddle was acting a little heelish, definitely very intense. Um, so Riddle is uh, um, coming in with a... Uh, coming in with a push um and uh we'll see where it goes from there uh main event was nick nemeth winning the um uh iwgp global title from uh from uh, from david finley um so another foreigner with a big push and he won with the zigzag which was surprising since that's usually a transition move for him in the past but um now uh he's uh he's beating people with it and um match is pretty good um didn't feel like nick nemeth got over that much with the crowd though um but i mean it is early and uh it's also it also was a show in sapporo where the crowd was not reacting to uh too much particularly after um you know the 30 minutes of uh of house of torture is there anything um, so that was nemeth first... should do different to to in terms of style or presentation compared to um you know what he's done in the past Oh, compare. I mean, because I, I was thinking here he didn't have heel on the back of his tights. So I was thinking you add the heel to the back of the tights. <laughs> um, a little bit more shaking of the yeah, a little bit yeah. Hashtag heel, and then a little bit more of the shaking of the ass. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I, uh, I feel like he's got sort of a you know he's got personality about him. He's got energy, and he's a good rest good rest. So I don't, I don't know that like you know like sort of dressing him up a certain way is. Uh, is key one way or another. I think it's just sort of, you know, uh, you know, having good matches. And I think you can, he can generally get over that way. Although, you know, like I said, this was, uh, this was not the most, uh, most promising of, uh, of starts in terms of the way that the crowd was reacting. All right. So, um, night two, um, had a bunch of farewells. The biggest was, uh, was the first, which was, uh, Okada having his final match for now with Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, uh, Toru Yano, um, and, uh, and Yoshihashi along with Okada. And, um, they beat, uh, Jeff Cobb, Matt Riddle, Great Okan, uh, Francesco Akira and Callum Newman. Um, whenever I see Callum Newman, it reminds me of Gavin Newsom. I want to call him <laughs> Callum Newsom. Um, Okada got the pin over Newman, so um, he left without putting over any of the new guys. Um, last major loss Okada had was the uh, the G1 Climax final last August against uh, Knights. In terms of like any loss of consequence, I'm sure he lost like a few like random tag matches. So yeah, I mean that was you know that was a uh, a choice. Um, not that I was advocating like you lose in this you know random ten man tag. I don't think that really would have accomplished much at this point, but. Um, you know, they missed out in terms of using him to help get over some other people. Although I suppose now that he's with, uh, um, well, assuming that he, he goes to AEW, that would, you know, presumably potentially offer some opportunities for them to do a little bit more in that regard. Um, but, you know, they didn't know that when uh, when booking it this way. Uh, 
match was fun though. Crowd was uh, was into Okada, and uh, you know the highlight actually might have been the uh, the post match because Okada was hugging all of his uh, old buddies, and they seemed uh, uh, all emotional about it, and um, also were having fun as they left. And I like the um, I like the uh, the way J- Japan does things, or, or you know, a lot of places. I mean, this has sort of become more like just a contemporary, um, uh, contemporary pro wrestling thing, where you know you feel like oh, you just got to split everybody up, uh, you know, all the time and turn on them on on each other. And like, you know, I I like the idea of just like some people are just buddies and they're just perpetually buddies and there's no turn. They just you know they just stay buddies. Like I mean, I think that's relatable and it gives you sort of a feeling of stability that then you know when things go awry in you know in other parts of the show then it feels more dramatic because you've got sort of a stable base and then at the end you have things like this where um you know you can have this chaos group with all this history and together they're they're together out there and they're linked and it's like oh yeah you know Toriyano and and okada and and uh and Ishii and Goto, they're just, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of buddies who have been, you know, buddies for uh, for a decade. So um, I like that. Um, then we got the farewell of, uh, of Tamatanga as El Fantasmo and Hikaleo beat uh, Tamatanga and uh, Tangaloa. And Jado was the referee, the manager of uh, of all four. And, you know, they, uh, you know, they had a, uh, you know, a good match. Hikaleo pinned Tamatanga with the, uh, the choke slam and they, uh, they all left together. Um, we then got a series of LIJ versus just five guys matches. Um, first was Bushi beating Takamichinoku in a uh, nothing match. Second match turned out um, uh, turned out perfectly uh, uh, with um, with Doki against um, uh, uh, Romu Takahashi. In that, you know, um, the reaction was. Um, the, the crowd was getting behind Doki against Romu, which I found surprising um, given, you know, Romu's their, their top, you know, junior heavyweight and their most popular uh, junior heavyweight. And um, Doki has been a guy that has not been protected very much, but the crowd was behind Doki. And, you know, they, they didn't know that it was going to be that pronounced, I don't think. I mean, um, I'm not watching each of the individual shows, so maybe like on the tour they were sort of leading you in that direction. But, um, you know, it, it, it felt kind of out of nowhere to me even though Doki has been getting over more but I and you know not at the uh Homo Takashi level but the crowd was you know rooting for Doki and rallying behind Doki and then in the end Doki won and so it 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 felt like it was a perfect night for that in the sense that like you know I, I don't know that I've ever seen the crowd as behind Doki in a major match as they were here and they gave him the biggest win of his career so you know perfect timing um to uh, to hopefully um elevate doki a little bit and uh and uh get him into a uh a bit of a of a better place um then to continue the uh, lij uh just five guys uh 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 run um taichi beat shingo takagi and um another pretty good match um taichi usually does well in sapporo so he got the uh the win there um uh, then yoda's Suji beat Yuya Urimura in a hair versus hair match. I thought this is another solid match. Um, it got some criticism, I think, in significant part because it went longer than it needed to. But, um, you know, I thought it was good. You know, Suji controlled the match much of the way. And I was thinking because of that, that Uimura was going to pull it out in the end, um, you know, just 
surprise people, but nope. Um, Suji beat him, and uh, they cut Uemura's hair. And uh, I'm curious what the idea is with this, because like Uemura really does have quite nice hair, and he seems like a nice guy. So like I felt like the the hair sort of fit him. Um, and I I was expecting, even though Suji's more pushed, I was expecting um, uh, uh, Uemura to win, just because I could sort of imagine. Usually when you have a hair match in wrestling, it's because the person who loses the hair match has like some affirmative idea that they want to do without their hair. Um, and so I was sort of imagining Suji wanting to sort of try something else without um, without his hair, but evidently not. And so I'm curious what the uh, what the idea is with uh, with Uemura. Um, then the, uh, the main event was, uh, Naito beating Sonata to retain the IWGP world title and win the LIJ versus, um, just five guys, uh, series. And it was fine. Um, and that presumably brings a, uh, an end to the, uh, Sonata run in the, uh, in the main events that was uh, not a success. And then afterwards, Naito brought Okada into the ring and teased a fist bump, but then spit on Okada and attacked him. And they had a little fight before Okada left. It was done in a playful way, but I, I enjoyed it. It's sort of like the idea that, um, you know, Naito and Okada are longtime rivals. Same thing with like sort of maintaining things over a long haul. And uh Naito's still kind of uh still kind of ornery. Um and uh and doesn't uh you know, doesn't yeah, you know, they're not like you know, blood rivals by any means, but you know, they're sort of uh they're not the best of buddies either. Um, even to this point. Uh so uh so yeah, oh oh, oh that so that was the that was the two um uh, two new to beginnings shows, but they also announced the uh, the bracket for the New Japan Cup. And the big striking thing there is just how little star power there is now relative to the past. You know, no Okada, no Osprey, um, no Naito, no Tanahashi, um, no Hiromu Takahashi, no Jay White, like um, no Nick Nemeth, no Matt Riddle. It's uh, you know, it's not the uh, the most impressive. Uh, impressive of lineups um 28 man field four buys um which are a little less random than usual um you can sort of you can sort of imagine why they would choose the four people they did for the buys um jack perry is the only real surprise and he wrestles showed umino in the first round um so that's you know i think you know the, the probably the key match of what's been you know bracketed at this point that we know that is going to happen for sure um the people looking at the bracket the people who would seem to have the best chance to me are Umino, David Finley, Evil, Shingo, Yodosuji, um, Yuyu Imura, Taichi, and, uh, and Zack Sabre Jr. So um, we'll see what they do. Priority right now um, for them has to be to create some new stars. So um, if I'm booking it, I would definitely lean towards giving um, you know someone new a uh, um, a, a you know a win to sort of build them up but i could see them thinking as well that like oh but you know things are things aren't that strong so we need someone that would make for a bigger match right now like a uh a zach saber junior type but i would uh i would defer towards towards putting over uh one of the uh one of the newer people myself all right let's uh shift to wwe and start with smackdown from friday um, they showed some people arriving at the arena, and then uh, Liv Morgan took on Tiffany Stratton with Bianca Belair at ringside. Stratton won and uh, then shoved uh, Liv into Belair, leading to the finish. What would you think? Yeah, I thought it was the best of, uh, of Tiffany's SmackDown matches to date, although still clunky at spots and uh, a weak finish. 
Uh, Caleb Braxton interviewed Drew backstage. What do you think of the What do you think about that? I thought it was another good Drew promo, and he continues to make enemies of everybody around him. Um, so that that sort of trends continues. Um, he's got a lot of challengers if they put the title on him, which uh, they should, assuming they uh, they think they've got him uh, locked in moving forward. Then uh, Shante Diodonis was at home looking at his phone, and Cedric Alexander was hanging out, and he critiqued his outfits. Uh, Todd, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not knocking or or praising the segment either as far as the entertainment goes, but I have no idea how that's supposed to fit into a wrestling show. I was watching that thinking like, <laughs> huh, yeah. this is a, you know, this is a choice. This is, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is something that I'm watching, huh? And and plenty of camera angles and invisible cameras on on reverse angles. Um, yes. Uh, although that this one this one it felt like I, I it was easier for me to imagine that they were just like filming them all day and then they edit it together. Like sometimes when they do those sorts of vignettes, the idea seems to be like okay, they went off and did this activity and you just fil- you it would make sense if you just film the activity right. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect like all these camera angles. But this one it was easier for me to imagine that like oh they just are sitting there all day filming these people going back and forth and so it's you know you can compile it together at the end because of the nature of what they were doing so I, I, it didn't feel fake to me it just felt weird <laughs> yeah, absolutely but this apparently was uh nick aldis's idea because he's like i got an idea for you you should uh judge cedric's outfits or team with him or something um it was like what six weeks ago he dropped well well, we don't know that specifically his idea was like a fashion show. So, no, I mean, no, we I don't. Feel- uh, I'm, I'm, I'm recklessly speculating. I'm connecting dots um, that may be irresponsible to connect. But- wait, wait. Reckless, irresponsible. You know, look at the words you're choosing for yourself. Did I say you irresponsible? You need responsible. Yeah, I think Did you said I? irresponsible. Okay. Yeah. I remember yeah. reckless. I might, I don't know. I'm pretty sure because I was, I, was, I was picking words you were using. Yeah, okay. All right. Um. Yeah, so uh, then some uh, backstage segment interaction with Bloodline. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, Roman Roman again uh, seems to have more gravitas when Rock isn't there. Yes. I mean, Rock being there, I think, kind yes. of makes him feel a little bit less. Um, and Jimmy has slowly morphed into a total clown. It's been it's been a descent for uh, for poor Jimmy. Yeah, he's kind of in the Sammy role where it's like you build him up and then you tear him down. And then you say you're kidding when you tear him down, but you're not really. Um, they enjoy doing that um, in their in their segments with somebody. All right, uh, Braun Breaker uh, got a win over Dante Chen in about a minute. What do you think of his debut and presentation? I, I thought it was good. You know, just a quick squash. Um, and Braun is, you know, well-suited for squash matches because he's very explosive with the speed and power. And I, rem- I, I think a lot of, like, current wrestling fans don't know the psychology of this. But I remember as a kid that there were people that I enjoyed their squash because you got all these squash matches, right? And so, like, you weren't, like, tuning into the show expecting, hoping. I mean, I guess you would hope for. It was exciting when you got a competitive match. But you weren't expecting a bunch of competitive matches. But, like, some people made for more fun 
um, squash matches than other people. Like, and there were a bunch of components to that. There was the there was the uh, the music, you know, played a role. There was sort of the way they carry themselves. They seemed sort of charismatic. It was sort of fun. And the moves they did. If you had like a few like cool moves, even if you weren't as great of a wrestler, if you just did a few cool moves and you were just watching the squash, it was like, ooh, that guy, I really like that guy. You know, whereas other people, they might be a better worker overall, but if they didn't have a few explosive moves, it wasn't as exciting to see them. And so, like, by the way, one example of that, um, I may have said this at some point in the past, maybe not, but like Razor Ramon, like Razor Ramon, he went out there, he would, he would do the, he would do the, th- you know, he had the great music, which was like the, the Austin music before Austin. Uh, literally, they just, you know, they just used the different, um, different beat on it. Um, you know, you go out there, you threaten the ring, the ring guy. If something happens to the gold chico, something going to happen to you. And then he did the overhead, you know, he did the, uh, the, the, the throw over his head, which was always impressive. He did the razor's edge, which was impressive. He would often do the, uh, the, 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 um, you know, the, 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 the overhead over the, uh, from the second rope rather than in, in the ring. And so he just had a cool, cool bunch of moves. And so, and, you know, then before he did the razor edge, he'd do the big, like clapping the hands. Like it was just a fun, it was a fun, like two minutes. And Braun Breaker was perfectly suited for like a two minute squash because he has all these big high impact moves. By the way, his, 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 his dad and his uncle, another one were like, were really well suited because they do like a bunch of power moves. They kill the poor jobbers. The jobbers would, you know, not want to get in the match with them because of the way they would do that you get the frankensteiner you you might get a, a, a you know a bulldog off the top you get you might get the steiner screwdriver if you were lucky and the uh, the jobber was unlucky um and it was just a fun time so yeah same thing with uh same thing with braun i will say though though i would like him to get a different finisher so many people do the spear it's such an undistinctive move at this time like i and he's so athletic and 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 powerful that i feel like he could you could come up with something really cool that he could pull off on anybody so i'd like to see him have a different finisher than that yeah yeah i agree with that all right uh backstage segment with um uh judgment day any any thoughts on that um no all right then uh lecter lopez approached joaquin wilde and cruz del toro so that the, she said that she's been watching them and it's sad. Uh, she asked where Rey Mysterio was. Um, she talked about loyalty and then Angel uh, and Umberto attacked him. Uh, and Santos had a few ominous words for him. Then Carlito and Selena Vega ran in with some officials. What do you think of this uh, segment and angle? I mean, she's not lying. It is. It is sad. Yes. The way that they're used. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate against Dominic and JD. Uh, Bate and Dunne won this one in 13 minutes. What do you think? Yeah, it was a good match, and clearly the uh, the focus was on building up Don and Bates since they weren't the strongest of challengers, and you know that's exactly what they should have done. All right, uh, then Grayson Waller and Austin Theory were chatting with Logan Paul, and then Kevin Owens walked in and interacted with them a bit. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean they were there to set up the uh, the Waller meeting with Roman Reigns, and I'm still not really sure what that was about in the sense that like Theory was. Um, healing on Rollins and Cody for Roman much more than Waller. So it, it felt kind of, you know, it felt like they were setting up something where, you know, uh, Waller can do something for Roman Reigns. And then I, I didn't feel like that was what happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then uh, the Street Profits against Authors of Pain. Authors of Pain win this one in 12 minutes. What'd you think? Yeah. I mean, I thought the match was, uh, was, uh, was pretty good. Um, you know the author, authors of pain had to uh, to win at this point, and uh, and they did. Then backstage, uh, Dakota Kai, who earlier was uh, uh, limping, and Nick Aldis led her to the trainer's room, um, 
they showed her in the trainer's room and Bailey asked what happened and they, they chatted a bit. Um, what do you think of this chapter in their, in their saga? Yeah. I mean, clearly you're supposed to wonder, um, whether Dakota is, uh, is faking to trick Bailey, whether it turns out that she is or she isn't. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the, the story that we'll, uh, we'll see play out. Do you, do you like the way they're telling this? Um, I mean, cause this can sometimes yeah, just be like eye rollingly melodramatic or dumb or predictable, but, um, yeah, I, I think this is higher for this category than we normally see higher than average. Um, all right. Uh, then, uh, I guess a few, anything before the main event in little rapid fire segments you want to comment on? Like Lashley no. being iced and Graves hyping the race wall effect. All right, so then LA Knight, Drew McIntyre in the main event. Um, Drew wins by uh, by D- DQ or no contest. They don't really clarify when someone interferes, but not on behalf of someone, whether that other person gets a win or it's just a no contest. But nevertheless, um, Kevin Owens um, involved in this one. Um, what do you think? Long match, shit finish, and some pretty generic build at the end. So it didn't... Uh didn't light my world on fire as the uh, the final segment before the pay-per-view yeah yeah okay uh so moving on to raw from uh monday night this is the follow-up to elimination chamber and um a lot a lot of scenes of elimination chamber and a lot of pivoting to hyping wrestlemania also in different ways throughout but uh they they opened with uh dominic staying mid-ring with rhea ripley and then uh, Becky coming out, and they interacted for a while to set up their or hype their match, I guess, not set it up, uh, hype it for WrestleMania. What would you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously they brought Dominic out there to try to encourage the crowd to side with Becky against Rhea, and um, I didn't even thought about it for a while. Um, but they used to be a pair a lot of the time. Um, uh, but for a long time now, they you know they they won't be in you know they'll be in the scene together, but they won't be like playing up their relationship as much as they uh, as they were for quite a while so um that you know started the show reminded me of uh of the uh of the switch that we've uh, that we've seen that i hadn't noticed um and obviously that's a conscious choice i thought the segment was generally good um you know crowd was again very much into uh to Rhea ripley um not that much into uh into becky lynch and you know i've been I've been pointing that out for a while now, and yeah. it it does feel like people are catching on and talking about it more um, since it's you know a significant issue. I, I'm not I'm not sure that um you know that turning her heel is the right move, but she's certainly flat as a uh, as a, as a baby face, and um, you know they they need to you know they they need some sort of solution for that, but I'm not sure what that is, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, Cole just read a, a tweet from The Rock, um, which was what it was. Uh, then Jackie Redman interviewed Nia Jax backstage. Any, any thoughts on that interview? No. All right. Then uh, Sami Zayn and Shinsuke. Um, uh, Sami wins in 15 minutes. What'd you think? Um. I thought that it was a good match. Um, it's you know it's a credit to Nakamura that they've beaten him like a drum since they turned him, mm-hmm. but he still feels in a pretty good place as a as a character. Um, and you know I think that's often a mark of a good heel. And you know the win for Sammy presumably you know is there to well not even presumably it seemed pretty clear is there to uh, 
move towards him being one of the uh, the many people looking to uh, to get a shot at uh, at Gunter. All right, uh, then Chelsea Green did some might work to and lead up to Raquel Rodriguez beating her in under two minutes. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it was. You know, just some Chelsea Green character work and a squash loss to Raquel. Then uh, Redman interviewed Sammy, um, who talked about what that win meant to him. What uh, what you think of the promo, and and what did it tell you about the direction they're going with Sammy? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good promo by Sammy. You know, building up the uh, you know the uh, the interest in in winning a a title again, and the obvious tease of uh, of the Gunter match. Um, so yeah, I thought that it was uh, it was generally good. With the uh, only real negative to me, the uh, the interviewer playing fangirl in her reaction, which you know I know is what they want, but I just I just so strongly disagree with that as a philosophy. Given it just, it, it, I mean, number one, it's unbecoming, but like it also just feels so fake. I mean, I've you know, I've, there's no, I mean, I guess maybe like you're you know you're <laughs> you're like fake media type that'll be in the background of like wrestling things but like you know like the nfl or you know a major sport isn't gonna have like the you know sideline reporter like you know fawning and practically i you know i you know uh whatevering with the uh you know the the person that they're interviewing and you know on the field that's just ridiculous behavior yeah all right, uh, there was backstage interview to start hour two with uh, Cody Rhodes. Um, any thoughts on, on what he had to say there? No, I mean, he didn't have much to say. Yeah. All right, then uh, Imperium uh, came out, and uh, Damian Priest and, and uh, well, Judgment Day came out, but Damian Priest went face-to-face with Gunther. And, uh, yeah, just some developments there. Dom stepping forward, chomping his gum, wanting a shot at Gunther. What would you think of all this? Yeah, I was wondering if he was turning babyface there. Um, yeah, I thought it was a different segment. Um, heel versus heel. Uh, I don't know that the average fan is going to be terribly invested in those two groups going at it, but um, it also seems like there's going to be be babyfaces involved as, at the same time. Judgment Day are going after the title, so it doesn't it doesn't matter too much. It's not like they're going to be. I, I don't see them doing you know Priest versus Gunter one on one before Priest turns at least. All right, then uh, Vinci and Kaiser against uh, New Day. This goes 18 minutes. Vinci and Kaiser, the winners. Win. You know, pre- and I really think about it. I hadn't thought about it until then, but like Priest actually might be a, a, a decent chance, a decent choice for the person to beat um, Gunter after the babyface turn. Just in, I, I don't know that he, he certainly would be my ter- first choice, but just in the sense that like he's, you know, he still hasn't gotten like that sort of big win to sort of establish him. And, and once he turns babyface, you know, you'd like to sort of like get him at a, you know, at a higher level. And, and Gunter would, winning the IC title from Gunter at that point would feel like something that would be able to potentially take him to a, a higher level, mm-hmm. which is, you know, ideally what you want out of that whole thing, which is why I don't like the idea of Sami Zayn, for example, winning it. Cause I just feel like what's Sami Zayn going to get out of it. He's held the title before, you know, like it's, it doesn't feel like that would really accomplish that much in terms of elevating him to a different position. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Grayson Waller got a little promo afterwards. History is nothing but a set of lies. Everyone agrees to do. Do you agree with that? No, it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly is, is, is some lies that people agree to, um, but yeah. um, that's not history, you know, in, in, to, in some total. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, then uh, Adam Pierce, I think, was on the phone with Bronson Reed, uh, chatting with him when uh, Chad Gable walked in and threw his name back into the hat to face uh, Gunther. So just a kind of a parade of of different people um, looking at uh, Gunther as, 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 and through their uh, – or aspiring to face face Gunther. Any thoughts on this? 
Although I, the, the, you using the word parade, it, it made me think at least, you know, at least it wasn't the deal where they all did it in the same like five minutes in the ring, one yeah. after another after another. So um, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, that's that's I'll give them credit for that. Like at least they had it going on in different parts of the show. You know, the, uh, you know, uh, Judgment Day inner inner inner, uh, you know, in, involved themselves with Gunter in the ring. Uh, Gunter involved himself with Sammy backstage. Chad Gable went to, um, you know, to to Adam Pierce. So that's that's uh, that's better in my mind. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that they're terribly invested in in Chad Gable. Sorry, Chad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, then uh, Shannon Baszler and Zoe Stark against Candice LeRae and Eddie Hartwell. Uh, Baszler and Stark win in a couple of minutes. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, not exactly a big vote of confidence to Candice and Indy losing so quickly after losing the tag title match, but, um, you know, they don't typically give those uh, undercard women segments very much time, and uh, this was not an exception. Uh, then a backstage segment with Miz, Gargano, Champa, and R-Truth. Um, this is not a segment you would want to introduce, uh, you would want to use to introduce people to to what's going on with R-Truth or Gargano and Champa these days. Maybe Miz. I don't know. It seemed about par for the course with uh, with our truth, um, but yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't great stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, then uh, Drew McIntyre with a, uh, a big promo segment uh, involving Seth. What do you think of this? I thought it was a very good segment. I thought Drew again was great as a heel. You know, he's so comfortable in his role, and I think he can be a you know a genuine main event act. You know, not like you know main event of like uh, you know closing raw but you know being someone that um is expected to uh, to draw crowds at the uh at the house shows and 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 uh, elevate business um and you know i think they could tell a, a really good story um with him eventually as a heel against roman down the road you know playing off of the uh you know roman sort of stealing his uh his uh his glory when you know when he was uh with the uh with the crowd and you know drew you know, being a resentful heel, trying to get revenge on, on Roman for that. Um, and I thought Seth was, uh, not that he has any, you know, lack of, uh, not that he has a lack of uh, of challengers or, or opponents. <laughs> I'm already thinking he was a champion, not a, uh-huh. lack of a, opponents as it is. Um, and uh, I thought Seth was, was, again, better than he typically is because his promos, uh, you know, over the last, uh, the last, you know, month or so you know during the wrestlemania season have been more i think grounded and more um focused on uh on the stakes rather than sort of the shtick and the singing and whatnot so um i think i think seth is in a, uh, a better place as well yeah yep all right then uh nijax fought Liv morgan to i know contest when becky attacked Jax, or maybe it was a dq uh win for for uh Jax. we don't know uh what do you think Weak match, weak finish, and uh, another step in the uh, hotly anticipated and monitored Liv Morgan heel turn. <laughs> All right, then uh, Jackie Redman interviewed Grayson Waller and Austin Theory backstage. Austin Theory took a little, gave a shot a look, I guess, to uh, Waller claiming he had his he had his back and he did everything he could to defend Theory at Elimination Chamber. Um, and they just talked about Roman and Cody. What do you think? Yeah, tease of a uh, theory Waller split. Um, boy, if they do that, would my vote ever be for uh, for Waller being the uh, the face of the two? But we'll see what they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, then Becky got Anna Pierce's face backstage, and she needs to get Nia Jax in the ring. Um, Liv barged in. Um, anyway, yeah. Any any thoughts on that? 
No, the key thing was just the live back key. Yeah. All right, then uh, Cody Rhodes and Grayson Waller in the uh, final match on the show, uh, which then parlayed into uh, interaction between Cody and Paul Heyman. What'd you think? You also had the conversation between Jay and Drew backstage, which continued the, continued the trend of Drew getting into a, uh, oh, yeah. a fight or a confrontation with someone backstage practically every show. So um, he's been on quite a roll in terms of making enemies. Um, as far as Cody and Waller goes, I mean, the crowd wasn't much into the match, so that didn't uh, help. I thought the angle, you know, afterwards was the bigger thing, and it was fine. I mean, not not the most compelling Heyman or Cody segment. Um, and then you got the you know cliched beating up of security at the end. So I'm I'm rarely uh, much of a fan of that as your your uh, your conclusion of a segment. Uh, anything else from Raw? No. All right, I'll uh, throw to you for your uh, review and thoughts on NXT from a couple nights ago. Yeah, so the show started with Ilya Dragunov coming out for a promo, and uh, he called out Carmelo Hayes um, uh, quickly into that. And uh, Hayes came out, and they jawed back and forth. And I thought it was a uh, very good segment. Both guys were uh, were very strong in their roles, and uh, I think it it remains a uh, you know a, a, a good issue. Um, I mentioned, by the way, how Shawn Michaels books NXT more like late stage Vince McMahon than anybody else in wrestling. Is, is doing anymore and another example of that is like the current use of ava because like under vince they always did that crap where like the authority figure was like the adult and the wrestlers were the children and the authority figures were constantly like lording over them and bossing them around and like thankfully that's basically gone now and in, in every pretty much every promotion um but Shawn michaels is bringing it back um you know because on nxt like ava is now on five to ten segments a show it's always her as the mature adult lecturing the children wrestlers that they need to behave and standing between them and telling them what to do and the wrestlers all have to talk about going to ava to get things done and how i'll consult with ava and if ava does this ava does that she's being put over like dusty roads in like 1988 um she's the center of attention and it's it's obvious and it's embarrassing and it makes the show worse um and man i don't think it's gonna help ava either because she comes across as like the ultimate nepo baby and like I'd be happy at this point to never see her again, like for the rest of my life, um, which is obviously not the reaction they're going for in, um, in, in presenting her this way. Um, so yeah, like Ava is like the new star of, of NXT and, um, you know, it started here with Jada Parker and GD Dolan arguing backstage. And of course, uh, mama Ava has to come in to lecture to them to behave and made a match for later. Um, by the way, I'd mentioned this like being late stage Vince McMahon and like, boy, like first match was uh, Kiana James beating Kalani Jordan, distraction finish number one. Um, this one involving Izzy Dane, and this would start out start the trend of the night, which was uh, distraction finishes um, up and down the show. Uh, Roxanne Perez was mad that Lash Legend got the uh, impromptu title match last week, and she got into an argument with Jakar Jackson about it, and that set up a match later. Um, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows beat Blade and Inofe. Um, after the match, Chase U came out. And uh, then, what do you know, Axiom and Dathan Frazier had the same idea, and they came out. And then, lo and behold, LWO had the same idea, and they were coming from the other side, and they attacked Gallows and Anderson. And then, amazingly, the Wolf Dogs were up in the corner watching it all um, over the course of, like, two minutes. Um, so, yeah, this was all 
very contrived. Um, Obafemi and Ilya Dragunov met to meet, went to a meet with uh, with Ava, and Ava was of course um, unintimidated by Femi trying to uh, to dictate to her. Um, Roxanne Perez beat Jakar Jackson via submission, quick match. Um, Thea Hale and uh, J.C. Jane met backstage, and Jane like. She's been sort of heelish, but with the baby faces for a while, and now she's just a full heel again. She was hanging out with the heels. She was bad mouthing the baby faces in front of Hale, um, and Hale sort of seemed sad and uncomfortable. So um, they're splitting, and um, I could see Hale versus Jane coming at Stand and Deliver, given how long they've been setting up their split and how over Hale is. Um, but you know, it could be a TV match too. We'll see. But it's clearly coming. Um, Dijak beat Luca Crucifino in a quick match. Joe Gacy um, then came out afterwards to attack Dijak. And then later, Dijak was meeting with the esteemed Ava when Gacy attacked Dijak again, and Ava tried to regain control, um, the professional that she is. Uh, Lyra Valkyria came out for a promo, and she said um, that because the crazy stalker, who's clearly a threat to her, didn't come out for her match last week, that she'd gotten a women's tag title match for them against the Kabuki Warriors. Um, and Valkyria comes off like a fool, getting this obviously deranged person um, close to her. And Tana Paxley's acting also sucks, so this is not good stuff. And they were interrupted by Rich Holland, who apologized for taking it too far with Gallus. And then, <laughs> and then Rich Holland was attacked with a chair by the person who they've been airing the spooky vignettes for um, for the past few weeks. And that person, if you have not heard, is the returning Sean Spears. And yes. I, I guffawed <laughs> I guffawed at this reveal. I was like, oh my God. Um, so yes, Sean Spears back in NXT with that name, and he's the chairman, and uh, he's, uh, he's a crazy heel. Is he flicking um, his fingers to indicate 10? No, 10, 10, is, 10 is dead. Um, he's, uh, he's not, uh, he's not the perfect ten anymore. Um, Brooks Jensen, for some reason, wanted a shot at Obafemi despite losing his match last straight clean. Um, Von Wagner beat Brian Pillman Jr. in a quick match. Distraction finish number two. Um, this time Robert Stone. Pillman attacked Stone afterwards, which felt justified. Um, Jada Parker then beat Gigi Dolan in a quick match. Distraction finish three. Um, this time Ariana Grace. Um, they showed someone, um, wrote uh see you soon in the sand on a beach so presumably that's the return of sol ruka given she has a surfer character um either her or jim fullington i I would pop more for jim fullington but um we'll see and the final match was charlie dempsey beating noam dar with a german suplex to win the heritage cup um good match putting aside the silliness of the uh, the champion having to defend against one of four men and not knowing who would be while the four get to decide amongst themselves and spring it on him um it had interference on both sides but uh the finish was um cleaner than than most of the finishes on this show and the final segment was an in-ring segment with um Ilya Dragunov, Carmelo Hayes and of course Ava in the middle um and uh Tony D'Angelo interrupted and revealed that he and Ava had come to an agreement to have D'Angelo versus Hayes next week for a title shot at Dragunov at Stand and Deliver but Ava said that Dragunov had to agree since he's the champion it's like since when does the champion determine what his next challenge is going to be anyway um Dragunov agreed so that's the match and uh We'll see if Trick interferes to cost Melo the match, and then it's D'Angelo versus Dragunov for the title, and Trick versus Melo at Stand and Deliver, 
or if they just go back on what they said and they, you know, it ends up Trick versus Mellow versus Dragunov for the title or some other setup. Um, and then afterwards, Mellow sent D'Angelo into Dragunov and put D'Angelo through um, the uh, the table that they were doing the signing on. So that was uh, NXT um, <laughs> this week. Um, by the way, it's also worth noting the show um, did a, a really soft rating even with um, – a uh, a well built um, mellow versus truck feud and heading into um, WrestleMania season with um, the Rock around um, and you know it's a story we talked about as they were bringing in all those main roster wrestlers last year and the mm-hmm. ratings went up and people were proclaiming NXT this great storytelling show when <laughs> to me it was just a lot of hot shotting and you know this is a story of hot shotting you know and specifically you know loading up your show with stars from another place that aren't going to be around long term and. You know, this is, you know, the pattern you see, you know, pretty much every time, which is you get the short-term benefit, and then after the benefit um, runs out, you then go back to where you are, and then you often go back lower than you were you were before you started. And um, they've now fallen from, you know, to below the highs when they reached this show, and, and they're now lower than they were when they really started up the sh- loading up the shows in NXT last summer. And you know, we'll we'll see where they go from uh, from there. Of course, they did they did get the uh, to be fair, they got the CW deal, and that was the big goal. So um, I doubt they're feeling um, too too bad about the whole thing. Um, maybe the uh, maybe uh, maybe CW is <laughs> is is not feeling as uh, as as great about it about it though. Yeah, a little bit of a bait and bait and switch as far as uh, as far as those ratings went, and they. But I I, I would say it's up to uh, the CW to to be aware uh, of what was going on and and not buy into it. But yeah, they dropped to five hundred seventy thousand um, on Tuesday, down from six sixteen, six fifty, and six fifty the previous three weeks. Um, demo numbers also down. Uh, all right. Um, let's, uh, anything more? Uh, I don't want to, I assume not. Oh, I was going to ask you, forget that last question. Um, do you have a pretty good sense? Of, <laughs> I already do. Uh, good. Um, me too. Uh, do you have a pretty good sense or at all of like who you think are the next prospects or the next people who will get called up to the main roster currently on NXT? And is it a, a short list or a long list that you think we might see over the next, you know, six, nine months? Um, I'd given it no thought. I mean, they, they just called up, um, you know, Braun and Tiffany Stratton and um, I feel like some others. Um, so that's, that's uh, why I asked. I'm kind of like now it's sort of this next layer. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Dragunov, Dijak already been there. Might he go back? Um, Roxanne. Yeah. Just having not I, so I'll, 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 yeah. yeah, I'll go through the roster here. Andre, yeah. Andre, they could pull up Andre Chase at some point. I mean, given he's been there forever, but I think they sort of look at it as sort of a gimmick for that place. Um, you know, Baron Corbin's been in NXT for a while. I could see them calling him up at some point again. Um, but I don't think there's a, a, a hurry to do that either. Carmelo Hayes is ready. They could definitely bring him up. Um, it's just a question of sort of, I think, finishing the feud with Trick. And uh, at that point, I think they probably will call him up. Um Dijak you could call up. I don't know what they think of Dijak as sort of a main roster talent, but I mean, I think he's good enough to be there, and he doesn't certainly doesn't need any more seasoning at this point. Uh, Ilya Dragon, I mean, he's great. I mean, you could call up to the main roster right now. I'd like to see him give him a push on the main roster, but I'm not, not sure they will. He's a champion in NXT. I feel like that hasn't run its course yet, but um, you know, it's, it, at some point it will there. Um, 
Uh, who else is potentially ready? Um, Tony D'Angelo, I think they'll call up at some point. He's been there for a while, and I mean, he's gotten better, and you know, people are into him. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, up there by by the end of the year. But it's not a priority either. And um, uh, and uh, well, let me go through the one before I get to the big one at the end. Um, And you got to give Ava her main roster push at some point, so that's uh, that's coming. Um, I mean, Lyra Valkyrie—they're giving her the big push, and usually the, the 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 pattern is have the 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 woman hold the women's title for a while and then call them up. Um, I'm not sure they'll continue that trend there. Roxanne Press is ready, but I mean, they, they're doing the, the heel turn right now. So I assume they'll give her some time there to sort of play that up before they call her up. And yeah, then that leaves the, the big one, which is Trick Williams, which is sort of the big question because he's super over right now. And, you know, the, you know, the mentality I think among some would be you got to strike while the iron's hot and really try to capitalize on that rather than sort of letting him sort of get a little bit cooler before you bring him up. But, you know, then there's a question of how ready he is for a big push on the main roster. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, nearly as developed in the ring as a lot of people are. And, you know, as we saw with Tiffany Stratton, even what you see on NXT can sometimes be deceptive because they have, you know, all week to work on these matches in NXT and just sort of practice them and go over them. And when you're, you know, on the road, on the main roster, there isn't that same um, emphasis on trying to get those uh, those uh, those matches right. So, um, you know, it's it's an open question how you know how ready he is for the main roster. But um, given the upside of the guy, they you know they they more often than not with those sorts of people they defer towards calling them up early rather than late. Um, so they might uh, they might pull the trigger, but it's uh, you know it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a risk. All right. Um, I think we're down to UFC and a book review. Do you have a preference on what we do first, Todd? And I, and I expect you will. I have no preference. Sorry. All right. No, I, I didn't expect you would. I, 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 was, I was fibbing. <laughs> I was fibbing for effect. Wait, um, you, you, you wouldn't do such a thing? I would fib. I might fib for no. effect. Only for effect. I fib for effect. Um, you're, you're, you're as honest as the day is long. <laughs> And it's getting dark. It's it's an it's it's a, um, I don't even know. I was going to make some some connection to, to leap year because it just seemed like if you're going to, but I couldn't come up with anything. Um, but we'll we'll take suggestions. Uh, all right. So you'll see fight night this past weekend. Um, how how was the show time? Yeah, it was a show from uh, from Mexico City, and it was a fun show. Um, just a bunch of Mexico versus the world fights, and uh, you know, Mexicans love rooting for their own, and it's a uh, a fun a fun atmosphere um and they try to match make competitively but to give the local fighters a good shot at winning so you know you had some of the crowd popping for a bunch of the finishes um main event wasn't the best though it was it was competitive but not super exciting brandon royval um picking up the split decision over brandon moreno which was not what they were looking for since moreno's a star royval is not Moreno had already beaten him, so Royval beating Moreno um, was not <laughs> what they were looking for, um, particularly in Mexico City. Highlight might have been Royval getting pissed off because he thought he was being announced as a loser halfway through the announcement, and he started to storm off right as they announced that he won. I thought that was great. Um, co-feature did not go well for Mexico either, as Yair Rodriguez looked like he was going to win big early. He rocked uh, Brian Ortega with a punch early, dominated the round from there, but then the 
second and third. Ortega took Rodriguez down, submitted him with an arm triangle in the third. Um, um, come from behind win uh, for Ortega, and uh, he even got he even won over the crowd speaking Spanish since he's of uh, of Mexican heritage. And um, I think I think the general feeling amongst um, a lot of Mexicans when you've got like a uh, Mexican American, you know, is like, eh, you know, like, yeah, you're kind of Mexican guy, but you're not, you're not fully Mexican. And, but he was speaking like fluent enough Spanish with like sort of an, an enthusiastic manner and just sort of a nice guy demeanor that I think like they, you know, they got behind him, even though I think it was sort of a begrudging thing since he'd beaten the, uh, the full blooded, um, the full blooded Mexican, um, in the, uh, in the fight. And that was actually the first time Rodriguez has been submitted in his entire career. So feather in the cap of Ortega and Ortega's first submission went to, since 2017, which is wild since he's a submission expert. I didn't realize it had been that long. Um, seven years. Um, the Scotsman Chris Duncan landed some good shots on Manuel Torres early, but Torres got it to the ground and uh, got a very naked choke for the tap. And that was the story of the undercard, as uh, Howney Barcelos submitted Christian Quinones with a rear naked choke. Edgar Chires uh, submitted Daniel uh, Lacerda with a triangle. Quick tap there. Um, and uh, Ronaldo Rodriguez submitted... Uh, Dennis uh, Bondar with a uh, rear naked as well. So that was the UFC this weekend. There's also the uh, the PFL versus Bellator show, which, as predicted, was a uh, wipeout for the Bellator guys. They won went four and one. And the funny thing was the only win that they had. Um, the PFL, that is, was the one they least would want because Henan Fajeda of the PFL knocked out Ryan Bader quickly in the first round, and they'd said the winner of that fight was going to get Francis, Francis Ngannou. So they're going to – well, I mean, we'll see if they go through with it, but they it appears they're going to pay Ngannou millions of dollars to fight Henan Fajeda on pay-per-view, a fight that has absolutely no chance of, of, of doing anything other than losing them a shit ton of money. So um, <laughs> PFL, PFL – I mean, PFL is an amazing story. Like from the very beginning, they've just been like – mismanaged and um made so many stupid decisions and still they're around like 10 years later like continuing to like pour money into this and they've suckered in investors like i don't even know what it is like i i had my suspicions early on that it was some sort of money laundering scheme but then they got like a bunch of like legit investors like halfway through so i don't even know what to think of the whole thing they're like the you know they're like the tna of mma it's it's really (laughs) yeah it's really something they've lasted this long um, anyway, other than that, um, Johnny Evelyn of, of Bellator beat Impa Kasangani, excuse me, it's actually not that hard to say, um, Impa Kasangani of PFL in a good competitive fight in uh, via split decision. Evelyn's a great wrestler, and he got some takedowns, but Kasangani was a better striker, and he gave Evelyn a lot of trouble. So it was a good competitive fight. Uh, Jason Jackson from Bellator, he landed some big leg kicks on Ray Cooper, PFL, and eventually Cooper's leg just gave out, and that was that. Uh, Vadim Nemkov of Bellator just took down Bruno Capelosa of uh PFL and submitted with an R triangle and AJ McKee of Bellator got a quick triangle arm bar and Clay Collard for the submission. Um, other than the PFL versus Bellator stuff, um, uh, you over, Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez, you Romero, um, the, the destroyer of worlds, El Libertador de la Gente, um, didn't say that for El Libertador de la Gente, um, also won a, uh, a decision over, uh, Thiago Santos. Um, <laughs> at one point, like, he, you know, Chael Santos was talking up Yo Romero and he's like, 
watching him like and and with you know he's so he you know he's putting over all these different things he's like i just don't see how anyone can beat you romero and like apparently something must have said you know said said something on the headset because they then noted like he hasn't won in like eight years or something it was like you know like yeah i mean maybe like you know like you know unbeatable maybe a little bit uh, a little bit strong there uncle chael um aaron pico stopped henry corrales and uh claressa shields won a split decision as well over um kelsey DeSantis, where uh claressa shields the you know world-class boxers you'd expect was better on the feet but DeSantis was able to take her down a bunch of times and um it was sort of how you ruled you how you ruled how you weighed the um the takedowns versus the uh the striking um this week there's a ufc show from the apex um not much to it main event uh jairzinho rosenstrike against shamil gassiev um not a fight with a ton of interest um rosenstrike knockout artist um who's been exposed over time and uh, gassiev is uh, is undefeated so um certainly gassiev i think is uh who people are expecting um to uh to win there and um uh, other than that you've got eric anders and uh, umar Nurmagomedov, um not against each other although if they did fight each other that would be an interesting fight um given the uh, the size difference all right. Uh, very good. So, uh, Todd, as teased last week or previewed last week, we've got a uh, book review two weeks in a row. Uh, take it away. Three weeks in a row, actually. Uh, um, you mean there's uh, – I forgot one ago, or there's one coming up? Was it – You forgot one. Oh. Um, the, the one. The one two weeks ago was uh, the Medusa book, which I very much liked. The one last week was the Ric Flair, Tim Hornib- uh, Hornbacker book, which yep. I did not like as much. And this week – is the uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri book, um, which I uh, liked. Um, the book is called What Pro Wrestlers Are Showing the Audience by Yoshihiro Tajiri. I'd, uh, I'd mentioned before, sorry, just uh, checking something there, um, that Japanese wrestler books um, almost always have like a different tone and tenor than North American wrestler books. And this is another example of that, that trend that you've laughed at, Wade. Um, even the title is like eccentric. You know, <laughs> what pro wrestlers are showing the audience. It's sort of a weird title. Um, it starts out with kind of a philosophical bend. And then there's, you know, th- there's some of that throughout, but it then turns more into just his thoughts on his career. Um, my understanding is he's written a couple of books in Japanese, but this is the first one that's been translated to English. And it's generally easy to read, although there's definitely some some weird verbiage and syntax here and there um and more of that as the book progresses um but the definite strength of the book is his perspective which i found engaging and distinct um in the uh didn't age that well department um he starts the book by quoting vincent mann saying uh wrestling is a character business and tajiri asser- agrees with this assertion um he says he considered wrestling closer to a uh, considers wrestling closer to a uh, movie or manga um than a sport or martial art uh which you know is one approach to it for sure um i, I don't agree but that's you know philosophical disagreement um he notes that the book stemmed from a tweet that he put out saying that wrestling is more self-expression than a sport of martial art which he says people disagreed with um <laughs> he admits to being drunk when typing it oddly um he then basically goes back through his career and and uh and tries to uh to um 
uh, you know, to tie in some of those themes uh, throughout. Um, he talks about his original tryouts for the IWA and having to do menial tasks while training. Um, there's a funny story of getting trained by Animal Hamaguchi, who wanted him to then try out for one of the big companies. And he said, he told Hamaguchi that he didn't want to try it with one of the big companies. He wanted to join IWA. And he says, Hamaguchi frowned and went, think a little more. Um, for some reason, that really cracked me up. Um, very diplomatic. I need to, to pull that out more often. You know, think a little more um, in, uh, in response to a, a point you disagree with. Um, but, you know, IWA had the uh, Mexican connects, and he wanted to go to Mexico. And so um, he talked to Ultimo Dragon about it at one point. Um, that reminds me, by the way, like when I was in Mexico, um, at some of the ruins, there was a, a vendor selling, uh, lucha masks, which is, you know, nothing uncommon in, uh, in, in Mexico. Um, but the, the masks that you, that he had there were the masks you'd, you know, you'd expect. He had Santo, he had Blue Demon, he had Ray, he had Mil Mascaras, he had Mystico. And then of all people at the end, he had Ultimo Dragon. And I popped when I saw the Ultimo Dragon mask. And then the guy who was selling them popped when I knew who Ultimo Dragon was. I don't know why he had him there amongst all of those, uh, all those things, but, um, he was surprised. Know, if anyone knows where my blue demon mask is, let me know because I miss it. I got it in Tijuana, and I don't. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, well, wait. The, the, the next time in Mexico, I'll get you another blue demon mask. That'd be great. Uh, they're, they're, yes, there, there. You can. Uh, and blue demon is, is is a good one. I, I yeah. like that one better than yeah. the uh, than the, uh, the Santo masks. Um, uh, so to get your notes. Um, Generally speaking, it is a quote here, um, quote, generally speaking, it is said that the technical level of Japanese wrestlers is high, which, unquote, which is, of course, true. And then he adds, quote, in fact, in overseas, I have encountered some wrestlers who are surprisingly unskillful, um, which I enjoyed. Um, he, he unfortunately does not name names. Um, he talks about his concern that the WWE style is being uh, carbon copied around the world and it's taking away from the diversity of styles in wrestling. Although to me, that feels like less of a concern um, now than when he wrote the book a few years ago. Um, he did IWA and then Big Japan. And then at that point, he decided to fly himself to Mexico alone um, to try to get bookings there, which is quite the bold move. And apparently Victor Quinones uh, was uh, um, his mentor. And he told Victor that he wanted to make it by himself in Mexico. And Victor apparently was insulted. And this is a weak period in Mexico. So he's struggling, trying to get by. And he wanted to get booked for the WBF Latin American show. And Victor wasn't getting him booked. And uh, Tajiri goes, I was sure I was going to starve myself to death within a month if the condition continued. <laughs> um, and I, I just love the language of that. It's not, 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 not starve to death starve myself to death which you know sort of uh, you know speaks to the ridiculousness of um of uh, of the idea of you know flying to mexico cold and just you know, trying to get bookings. Um, finally, he got the call from WBF. Um, there's a funny story from around that time of being booked against Dan Severn, and he knew who Dan Severn was. And he talks about thinking about how he would um, bite Severn's ear if things broke down, and it became a life or death struggle. Um, thankfully, it did not uh, come to that point. Um, there's a funny story, too, about the origin of the tarantula move, which he did, which um, he was dreaming about moves. And in the dream, he thought of the idea of this tarantula. He woke up. 
And at that point, he woke up Tomoaki Honma, of all people, um, and he practiced it on Honma and, uh, and got it. Um, so that was the origins of the, uh, the, the uh, tarantula. He, he mentions he got $800 for his ECW debut, which seems surprisingly high to me, although that there was a period there where a little bit money was more money was flowing into ECW than um, a few years before that. Um, there's a funny header in one of the chapters that reads, quote, why a good young man from Japan fell into the darkness. Um, in case, in case you haven't enjoyed, like I've really or noticed, like I've really enjoyed his way of, of phrasing things. There's a lot of sort of just, you know, interesting, you know, ways of, uh, of describing things. Uh, he puts over the, uh, the importance of super crazy to his career, which is absolutely true and, uh, calls super crazy, his best friend. Um, that feud between those two put both guys on the map and I think is probably the, the career highlight for both. Um, he describes how super crazy was, uh, was the face. So Tajiri's idea was he would think about how he could be as evil as possible. So he talks about thinking about how crazy people would eat a meal and then trying to eat his meal like a crazy person. Um, another fantastic quote here, quote, I always kept in my mind to behave like a weirdo 24 hours straight. Um, and, you know, to me, pulling it off effortlessly is the real accomplishment. Um, he actually got a WWF offer when he was ECW TV champion, but turned it down. Um, and he didn't get paid the last four months of ECW, which, you know, he was not alone on. And at that point, he started looking again. But um, he did get WCW and WWF offers, and WCW wanted him as a cruiserweight. Um, and he didn't want to be a cruiserweight, so he went to WWF. And the uh, the timing was great because he signed right before WCW and ECW went under, and the wrestlers lost all their leverage. So he was one of the last the last ones that was for for quite a while that was able to uh, to benefit from the fact that um, there were multiple companies that w- that had money and were interested in uh, in signing him. Let's see here. Do 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 do. Um, he notes he was making a lot in WWF, but the, uh, schedule was, uh, was a, uh, grind, which is sort of the WWF story, WWE story. Um, maybe not so much WWE, um, but certainly WWF back then. Um, let's see here. Um, he, uh, he does quote Vince at the, at the beginning of the book as mentioned, but it's an unflattering, uh, portrayal of Vince overall. And I think, to me, I mean, it's not, you know, there's nothing sexual in nature, but it does sort of fit um, what's uh, what's described in the um, in the uh, um, in the lawsuit in terms of sort of the, the, the mean spirited bullying. Um, he he uh, he uh, tells a story in particular where there's a team meeting where um, where uh, uh, where Vince is is upset and he's going off about whatever. And Tajiri, of course, um, doesn't speak English to a significant degree. And, um, and, uh, as such, he doesn't know, you know, what Vince is saying. And Vince in the middle of the meeting goes Tajiri, do you have anything to say? And of course, Tajiri, you know, doesn't have anything to say. And Vince goes, you're totally useless. Um, which is that, you know, mean spirited bullying of people that Vince gets off on when, you know, there's an imbalance of power here, doubly so with Tajiri working for him in the language here. And, you know, there's a whole room full of people and it's just like, just, a, you know, it's a, an unpleasant story. And Tajiri says, it looked like Vince meant what he said. And he says in the book, quote, I believed it was a mean action aimed at me in a bad mood on that day. 
WWE is not a place where we could let down our guard for a second. So, you know, again, not a uh, not a, a flattering um, portrayal by, by by any means. Um, and you know, it's not like he's going out. You know, it's not like he, he's you know his his intentions to go after Vance. It's not that sort of a of a book. Um, uh, let's see here. There's another story of uh, Vince in a meeting saying how wrestling should be done, and Eddie Guerrero um, raises his hand and uh, and and goes, "I don't think so. I believe there are various ways to do pro wrestling, and I'll do it my way," which you know certainly makes Eddie look good to me. And uh, Tajiri puts over Eddie big as a, a wrestling genius. He calls his team with Eddie an everlasting treasure in life, which is, you know, a nice thing to say. Um, and uh, he wanted to be involved in the creative end, and he knew he couldn't um, do that without good English, which is why he ended up going back to Japan um, for Hustle while he was still in his uh, in his prime. And um, he mentions that he got wrestlers uh, – or, or wrestlers, he got – offers from a lot of different Japanese wrestling companies, almost all of them, he says, during that time. And he says he decided on Hustle because Hustle had the uh, the best presentation. But he also notes um, that Hustle was the only one that um, that uh, offered him an opportunity to work on the creative side, which seems very important to him based on um, what I noted before. Um, in Hustle, he worked with... Uh, uh, Yoji Anjo, and he labels Yoji Anjo a genius strategist, which seems a bit much to me for Yoji Anjo. Um, certainly not when picking targets for grandstand challenges. I'll say that much. Um, Maybe and it's good to a risk. Um, that is a skill. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's there's strategy a skill. involved. There's stratego. There's strategy there. It's in the name. Yes, but not but not but not shoot fighting. Um, and he talks about hustle in in, uh, in detail which is some of the most interesting stuff in the book he has a header why hustle was so hated by the fans which is you know a, a direct way of putting it um and hustle was the uh, the pride offshoot pro wrestling organization with um preposterous stories kind of making fun of pro wrestling during a period um when wrestling was really struggling in japan and tajiri suggests that the the, the negativity might have been um quote, jealousy towards the successful people, um, you know, which is certainly um, an assertion. Uh, he also suggests that the uh, the celebrity involvement led to negativity, which I think is closer to the mark. Um, he was training uh, uh, wrestlers um, uh, during that time period, and he talks about some of the people he trained, like Kushida, Suri, um, Ikemanjiro, among others. Um, there's some funny Nobuhiko Takata stuff, uh, talk rather. Um, Takata was the uh, legendary star in the UWFI and then the key guy in Pride getting started. And uh, then he went back to pro wrestling for Hustle as kind of a ridiculous figure at that point, uh, Generalissimo Takata. And um, Tajiri liked Takata, and he says, quote, I felt as if my self-esteem was increasing just by standing next to him, um, which is a very nice thing to say, um, and a very nice thing in general for someone that uh, there's someone that you're, that raises your self-esteem just standing next to them. Um, you know, that's probably a good person to hang around with. Um, uh, but at the same time, like he, uh, you know, he also talks about Takata getting drunk and slurring his words, and then getting carried home by Yoji Ancho. So it's, you know, it's 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 a, it's a mixed bag. Um, he also says, quote, um, uh, he was cool, talking about Takata, he was cool and was sometimes cute. 
um, which you know I'm not I'm not sure exactly what he's going for there, but um, Nobuhiko Takada, um, sometimes cute in the uh, in the book of uh, of Tajiri, and Tajiri was was sad when uh, when Hustle shut down and uh, describes Hustle as quote a company run by a bunch of lunatics, not those off-the-wall wrestling characters in the ring that we see a lot today, but true lunatics. We were all genuine lunatics, end quote. So, I, like I said, I, I, I enjoy his quotes. Um, he uh, he came back to WWE for uh, their cruiserweight division, and um, he didn't like the, 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 the time requirements he, in terms of the matches. He didn't like the regimented feel. Um, he was older. He talks about feeling um, out of place. And uh, then, to make matters worse, he quickly tore his ACL, and um, he ended up teaching at the PC, and he really didn't want to get surgery, um, not feeling it necessary, which is wild for a torn ACL, and so they released him after just four months. And uh, he talks about the shift in Japan in the early 90s to providing good finishes across the board, and he actually defends the old system with the crap finishes, saying... Quote, if you are not capable of accepting the countout, double countout, or DQ finishes, you may not be able to handle unreasonable circumstances in your own life. Which hurt my feelings. Like, that's that, that feels like it's directed Does at it me. Does it ring and... true? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, look, I mean, basically the argument is shitty finishes build character. Um, and... I will note you could use that rationale to defend any bad decision in any pe- pe- in any work of art. You know, like yeah, like the the finish to the movie wasn't very good, but like if you can't deal with a bad ending to the movie, like how are you going to cope with life? You should just accept that the movie had a bad ending um, and not complain about it. Um, he also laments heels not going all in on being hated anymore. Um, overall, it's an interesting book. Um, you know, I, I I'm glad I read it. Um, it isn't that long, and the writing is at times awkward, and it was quite expensive even for the ebook when I purchased it. So I can't rate it that highly for those reasons, but I'll go 13 out of 5 with a, a thumbs up for me because I, I, I liked it. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, is there a fourth book review on the way in a row? Um I mean, at some point, yes, but it's it's not coming. Uh, it's not coming next week. The the ones I have on my uh, what do I have here in in uh, in my uh, what is this? this is this Apple or no? It's Kindle. Um, okay. I've got the uh, the book that Stephen uh, Verrier wrote on George Gordianko. I've got the second Eric Bischoff book. I've got the book that was written on the British Bulldogs, and I've got an old book written. Um, by uh, Dangerous Danny Davis that was unfortunately one of the uh, the first Kenny Casanova books. So uh. um, that's a red flag. But yeah, those those four would um, most likely be the uh, the next ones. Although there's there's also other ones. I mean, Becky Lynch is, is, is coming out with hers um, soon. And Ronda Rousey has, is, has written and is putting out a second book. So um, there are other options, but those are the ones I have uh, ready on my, um, on my Kindle. I'm looking forward to your or review. I guess on my, on my phone. I'm looking forward to all those, but Ronda Rousey, another Ronda Rousey book review will be fun. Psychoanalyzing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what her. she has to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Anything else before we uh, shift to Melbourne? Nope.